In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Music, singing, is a great gift from God. And it comes to us from the Father of lights in whom there is no change, no shadow of change. And yet the world sings of darkness. The world doesn't receive this gift from God, this singing, but regards it as a mere tool to suss out the feelings within, the hope within, despair. Listen to the love songs. They're all sad. They're all just depressing. And there's a certain comfort in having known love or whatever it is. A certain comfort in knowing how to lament. But there's no comfort from God. From God, we need the implanted word. The reason this good gift comes from our Father in heaven is because we are reconciled to our Father in heaven for the sake of his Son. And it is for his sake that we sing. Today is Cantate Sunday. Cantate, from where we get the word chant, you can kind of see it. It just means sing. It's a command. We get it from Psalm 98 as we sang, and we'll sing it again. Appointed as our intro at this week. The Psalms were divinely inspired hymns. In the Old Testament church, they teach us the gospel. They prophesy of what was to come and what has now come. They teach us to complain, rejoice, thank and praise, how to be angry without sinning, what to ask God for, what to expect. They're meant to be sung. That's why we chant them. And that's also why the Psalms themselves command us to sing. Cantate Domino. That is, sing to the Lord. Do it. We're told to sing a new song. The new song that the church sings isn't new because it isn't old. It's not what makes it new. If that were the case, we'd have to abandon all our Lutheran hymns that teach the Christian faith so well. We'd have to stop singing the psalms themselves. Instead, each generation would have to be in constant search for the next new thing. We complain about this generation or that, don't we? It should come as no surprise to us that God has honored certain generations with great advancements in science and technology. And the world praises those generations. It is not every generation that God has honored with the great privilege of producing some of the best music and confession in our songs and hymns than any other. And the best generations that taught us to sing were the generations immediately following the Lutheran Reformation. No, the new song of the gospel isn't new because of its relative youth. It's new because of its eternal age. It remains relevant and applicable to your life every single day and hour. It's God's word, and it can't grow old. So long as and as often as you need to hear God tell you that your sins are forgiven and that he doesn't condemn you for them, but accepts you and promises eternal life to you for the sake of Jesus, who took away your sin. So long as you find your sinful mind returning to the old leaven of malice and deceit and sinful habits and lusts, so often as you're left in your guilt and crushed by the sure knowledge 
that your life is unclean and deserving of God's judgment as often as you feel some foolish worldly comfort and lamenting and perfecting how sorry you are as though that were the same as joy. That's how the disciples felt. That's why they didn't ask Jesus where he's going. They were content being ignorant of the Father. Well, just as often, dear brothers and sisters, the gospel song that tells you to lift up your hearts and receive the favor of God remains a very new thing. It's new because it makes you new. It's new because it's more than a record of what happened a long time ago. It delivers to you what God accomplished for you in time and space when he died and rose for your salvation as God promised in his word. The church's song is always new because it gives to you and puts on your lips the very words and decrees and affections and commitments that God himself holds right now in his heart toward you. Jesus died for you. He obeyed God for you. God forgives you. He is our Father who gives life to sinners by grace alone. Our song is new because right now, despite what you've done or left undone, despite how you feel or how fearful you are of the temptation that that you face or how much harm your self-indulgence has already caused, despite all obstacles to you believing in God, God's word remains true. And it never depended on you because that's not where the song was supposed to come from. It comes from God. He puts your sins away. He wins your salvation. It is the victory of his right arm that we celebrate. And this victory is made available by no other means than by the word that God speaks to you because these words deliver what God has done for you. It is to your advantage that Jesus went away. It is to your advantage that the disciples were blinded by confusion and sorrow for a little while because in the cloud of their ignorance and despair, the Son of God knew exactly what he was doing. He was suffering the judgment and punishment for their sins and ours and letting and doing it for you. He was fulfilling the scriptures and perfecting the song that the psalm tells us to sing by doing what his father told him to do. It is to your advantage that he went away to die for you. It was so that after making peace with God by by bearing your guilt and rising from the dead with innocence, he might send the Holy Spirit to deliver to you in word and holy sacrament the innocence he won for you. And as a sign and testimony that God means what he says and wants you to hold him to his word, what does he do? He doesn't just put it into your mouth. He tells you to sing it. And so this is what we sing. The truth doesn't change. That's what makes our song always new. By telling us to sing the truth that the Spirit convinces of, God is telling us to care. It is a sin to disobey God. If you can't sing, like literally you can't sing, God will certainly not hold it against you. But you must care. Someone who figures he can't sing so doesn't bother opening the hymnal to read what others are singing shows that he doesn't care. Don't do this. It is a sin. It displays a sinful attitude. Care. If you can't sing, wish you could. If you can't sing, read along what God tells you to sing. Care that others care.
care about what God cares about? Does God tell us to sing what we don't love? He tells us to sing because he wants us to love what he loves. Our hymns are not time fillers. They are your worship of God, your worship of God, who saves you by teaching you what you do not naturally know or love. He teaches you to love what he loves. If you can sing, sing. If you can't sing with your mouth, sing with your heart. Read along to what others are singing with both. Music is so powerful. Nowadays, people listen to music. They're into music. But it's rarely sung anymore. Have you noticed that? It's easy to find someone else singing it better, and so we leave it to performers, because that's the value of music. And it's now almost only among drunks that men sing together outside of church. I guess they have nothing to say. I guess they love nothing but themselves. What a pity how far our culture has fallen. But the church has always sung together. And Christian homes should be filled with music. Because Christian homes should be filled with this love. Music is supposed to invite us to sing along, not merely to sway our emotions when sung by another. Music these hymns, this truth is intended to be sung. So-called contemporary Christian music has gained popularity in worship services for a number of decades now. It's usually not written to be sung by a gathering of Christians, except for maybe a chorus that repeats itself here and there. It's usually meant to be performed. And this is one of the big problems with this kind of singing. A good performance is intended to affect the crowds and move them to feel closer to God. But the message is usually very shallow. Very little is taught, and what is taught is likely not entirely true. And more emphasis is put on the effect of the music than on the depth or accuracy of what is being said. This isn't good. Well, this is not universal, necessarily. What makes the church a song contemporary, though, is not that it's written and performed by a contemporary artist nor is it contemporary when it's designed to appeal to a specific age group. What makes the church's song new and contemporary is that it confesses and applies those truths of Holy Scripture that teach each coming and going generation alike where to find life in the midst of death. Pastor Berg and I were just at a conference on marriage and divorce, and I went in thinking this was a contemporary problem. And we heard that people were scrambling to get out of their marriages even 500 years ago. There is nothing new under the sun. So why do we look under the sun to find a new song? Our problems are as old as dirt. And our salvation comes from heaven. The Spirit of God teaches us how to confess Christ with clarity, who came down from heaven to earth to save us. He teaches both young and old both against a bad conscience and as a clear witness to the world that what father, son, and grandfather, and grandson, and the girl versions of those, they all need the same thing. When old and young gather here to sing, they're encouraging one another that what we all need is the same thing that Abraham needed, that Noah needed. 
The Holy Spirit teaches us to care as they cared. He teaches us to want to confess what is true and to, to adorn it with the best we have. The Holy Spirit takes what is Christ's and declares it to us. That is what makes our music spiritual. It becomes ours to believe and ours to sing. St. Paul writes, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in spiritual psalms, hymns, and songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Whatever is touted as spiritual that does not clearly teach the benefits of Christ isn't spiritual at all. The word of God does not move hearts without teaching the mind. So neither should our music. The highest and truest worship is nothing more than faith. And so our songs teach the faith. There's nothing more contemporary than that which saves us from our past and present sins and gives us hope for eternal life. So out with the new and in with the old. Is that what I'm saying? Old is better. I know that's what people think I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying. Now visit a nursing home and you'll find plenty of agreement. Out with the new, in with the old. People love their old songs because they offer feelings to them that are otherwise out of reach. As Merle Haggard sang, Sing me back home with the song I used to hear. Make my old memories come alive. Take me away and back and turn back the years and sing me back home before I die. I get it. Old songs have an appeal when you grow old with them. Music has a way of anchoring our emotions and of calling us back to times when we felt those emotions. The Father of Lights is a very kind Father. But these times, no matter how a song might seem to whisk us back, are out of reach. We won't return to when Mom was alive or when the kids still wanted to snuggle in the morning, or have us read to them at night. Those times pass. Every heart is grateful for the song that seems to bring them back, but they don't bring them back. The happy songs we sing only mask the sad songs of our hearts that long for once, what once was. The value of Christ's song is not found in its ability to do this for us. There must be a better reason than that. Although certain hymns will always move our hearts for various reasons, yet it is the message they proclaim from God's word that give them their intrinsic value. The music serves the message. We sing about our baptism. We sing about what God taught us. We sing about the work of Christ, what the Father commanded and what the Son willingly did. The work of the Holy Spirit as he continues to work faith in our hearts today. The hope we have when we are tempted Our songs are new because they articulate what the Holy Spirit has convinced us to believe. Of course, there's something to say about songs that have stood the test of time. But it's not merely the test of time our songs must withstand. The new song of the gospel must withstand more than the judgments and aesthetic appreciation of each succeeding generation. It must withstand the test of temptation, accusation, and all the fury of hell. The new song of the gospel must equip wounded consciences to sing defiantly in the face of death itself. How else will you die than by singing? They must strengthen our faith by teaching us what faith depends on, even when our voice is gone. For this we must learn from God. 
You must learn the gospel. We must test every song we sing according to his word. For this purpose, our Lord Jesus sent the Holy Spirit of truth, the comforter. I read helper because that's the New King James, but it's the weakest of all translations of paraclete. He's the comforter, the advocate. He consoles us. He gives us that objective reality by which we stand confident before God, unafraid, by which we dismiss the sorrow in our hearts. How? How? By learning where Jesus has gone, by knowing that it is the the Father to whom he has gone. With the word that Jesus gives us, we're able to judge all things because the Holy Spirit guides us into all truth. The Holy Spirit makes the song we sing a spiritual song and a new song, and he does so by convicting the world of what the world thinks wrongly about. Sin, righteousness, and judgment. The world doesn't know what sin is. It determines what is right and wrong much the same way as it determines what makes good music. Like silly teeny boppers, people either follow the crowd of public opinion and only consider those things sins which are generally acknowledged as particularly bad, or else they consult their own personal preferences and follow their own taste. Sin becomes not what God forbids, but that which will earn the disapproval of others, or what leaves one feeling guilty. If the crowd approves, how can it be wrong? If I don't feel bad, how can it be wrong? But people think this way about sin because they don't believe in Jesus who bore all sin. They don't know what sin is or how evil it is because they don't see what their sin has cost. The Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin so that we might see where Jesus took it away. Those who reject the payment of sin are lost in their sin and perish in their sin. We who receive the Spirit's conviction repent of our sin and turn to Christ. We sing a new song by being convinced to think rightly about sin. The Holy Spirit convicts the world of righteousness because Jesus goes to the Father and we see him no more. You can't see the righteousness that you need to stand before God on Judgment Day. The world insists on seeing its righteousness. And so it scoffs at the idea that what they have done isn't enough. They point to their seeming good works, that they don't hurt anyone, that they're nice to people, that they're friendly to their spouses, give money to charity, even to the church. Their righteousness is clear for all to see. But the righteousness you need is not the righteousness you see. It is in Jesus whom you cannot see. Just as sin is more than outward disobedience, but the deep resentment of God in your heart. So righteousness is more than getting outward deeds done. It consists of fear, love, and trust toward God. What you need is perfect obedience that no man but Christ has rendered. Those who are satisfied with the righteousness that pleases man will never please God. But those who receive the righteousness of Christ through the forgiveness of sins learn what pleases God by learning first that they are pleasing to God for Jesus' sake. Our righteousness is none other than the obedience of Jesus in our place. He freely offered it to his Father as payment for our sins, and now he freely offers it to us as a free gift in the gospel. The Holy Spirit works faith to receive this. We sing a new song by being convinced to think rightly about righteousness. The Holy Spirit convinces 
the world of judgment because the ruler of this world, the devil, is judged. God's judgment of Satan is final. God's right hand and holy arm have won the victory over him. The great deceiver of souls was defeated when God bore our sins on the cross, and this was revealed and made public by rising again. The devil persuades the world to minimize sin and to trust in what they do to gain God's approval. Jesus teaches the world to repent of sin and trust in what he has done. But the devil is judged. We are convinced of this judgment. Everyone will be, but we who are convinced by faith will not suffer this judgment. We will sing our victory. We sing a new song by being convinced to think rightly about judgment. We sing a new song that was new ever since God promised that the seed of the woman would crush the devil's head in the Garden of Eden. This is the first poem ever heard. Poems are meant to be sung. God recites, and man puts it to music. God promises, and the Holy Spirit who teaches the truth comforts us with what is true. Think of that. It's true. We sing what is true. He teaches us to love what originates in him. He teaches us to care and to sing by convincing us that we go to him. And the Holy Spirit, his authority is found not in himself alone like a pagan muse, but in his eternal relationship to Father and Son that we just sang about. As he takes what is Christ's and declares it to us, So it is with whatever we sing, whatever we learn to care about and know for sure. Whatever the Holy Spirit hears, he speaks to us. He hears that God is reconciled to sinners. He hears that Jesus has given all authority to absolve us and raise us to life on the last day. He hears it. He loves to hear it, and so he tells us about it. He cares about what serves us because he loves us. As he hears, he speaks, and as he speaks, we sing. The old song sings wrongly about sin, righteousness, and judgment. But the the new song sings rightly. It gives true joy because it is true today as much as always, and as much as it ever will be. Forevermore, amen. peace of God that surpasses all understanding shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus unto eternal life. Amen.